Father, as Matt already acknowledged at the beginning of that song, it is all so hard to quiet our minds, to simply be passive, to receive. But I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit now that you would do just that. Quiet our minds with the many, many distractions that surround us on a daily basis. And help us for this time in your place, in your sanctuary, to hear what your Spirit says to your church now. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, go ahead and take a seat, folks, and thanks for uh, joining us here at Epiphany tonight. Uh, last week we looked at chapter 2 of Revelation in our series, Revelation Things Get Weird. Uh, by the way, somebody reached out to me recently and asked me for this chart and uh, to send to them. And I wasn't sure if they wanted it because they thought it was a good breakdown of events in Revelation. But um, the, the reality is this chart, I, I uh, chose it when Dom sent it to me. Dom had designed this. I chose it because it actually is so confusing to look at. It actually is not clear to me at all. What's going on? And the purpose of this series in Revelation is hopefully to try and clear up a book that has caused great amounts of consternation for many throughout all of church history. And so we are entering into chapter 3 tonight. We're in the middle of Jesus' word to seven different churches. And last week we heard his word to the first four of those churches in Asia Minor. And we saw him rebuke them. We saw him laud them in most cases for some areas of their life. And then promise blessings to them upon being united to him and his, his purposes. And, and the same thing is true today of the remaining three churches. What we will see as we look at these last three in Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea is that not much has changed throughout the history of the church that despite time and geography, uh, the church has always faced the same struggles, uh, the same temptations, the same difficulties, and in fact, the same victories. So uh, without any other explanation, let's go ahead and just dig into Revelation chapter 3. We'll be reading the whole chapter, and the words will be up on the screen for you to follow along. Verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. 
Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. End of reading. So what is it that the Spirit is saying to these three churches tonight? Let's try and break that down, looking at church by church by church. First of all, you have the church in Sardis. And if I could sort of summarize this church, I would say that they're all about reputation, but no substance. All about reputation, but no substance. Listen again to verse 1. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. There are, sadly... Many churches that could fit this exact same description and profile today. They can be large. They can have massive attendance. They can have tons of programs. And indeed, can have a reputation even for being an amazing church. But if you scratch beneath the surface, you get to know some of the people on the staff or something like that you may find out that things aren't as they seem. But of course, it's not just churches. It's individuals too, right? I mean, to some extent, all of us might try and at least paint ourselves with a little better 
facade than we might actually have, especially when it seems we walk into a church setting. How's it going? Oh, it's going great, brother. Oh, it's going great. Is it, though? Is it really going great? Like, what's... Are you just trying to show me something that will boost your reputation, boost your my picture of you? I mean, look, Instagram is entirely built upon people presenting their lives as better than they are. That's the whole platform, the whole thing. Is a, I mean, you're never showing the moments... You know, that you're like, well, I nearly abused my child. I'm going to take a picture of that. No. You're showing the moments when you and your child are playing. Or you're showing the moments when you're on the most amazing vacation ever. Not the moments when you're sitting for the 13th hour at your desk at work going, what in the world am I doing here still? Jesus says, yeah, you, you might have a reputation for being alive, but I see what's really going on. I see your Google history. I see your thoughts about that coworker that annoys you. I see how jealous you are of that guy. I see how much you don't actually enjoy praying to me or reading the Bible or giving to me in offerings. I see it. I see it all. I know. Nothing's hidden from my sight. What does Jesus say? to this church who had built a great Instagram pro pro profile but were a mess internally. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Repent. It's interesting, the words to Sardis are the same words used to describe what happened to the prodigal son in the story of the prodigal son. I guess most of you are familiar with the story, and so I'm not going to go into great detail about it, but it's about a son who basically insults his father in the most incredible way back then, takes part of his inheritance and goes and blows the inheritance on all sorts of bad ideas and wrong things to do. And eventually, as is always the case, he ends up in slop. I mean, his life goes to pot. And uh, the moment that he recognizes this, the words used to describe that are he came to his senses or he, he woke up. And what did he do? He remembered his father. Sardis is being charged to wake up and remember their father. I don't know what you're walking in here with tonight. I really don't. But maybe, maybe you've been off on a tangent for a while. Maybe it's time to come to your senses. Maybe it's time to wake up and remember your father. Because to those who do, he promises that the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments and that their name will never be blotted out of his book of life. That he will confess you before the Father and his angels. Remember what happens once again in the story of the prodigal son upon his return. What, what actually takes place? Well, his father, upon seeing him wake up and come, runs out to him, covers him in his robe, a.k.a. white garments, just like Sardis is being promised here, and declares that his son who was dead is now alive. The promise to those who return is that they will never have their name, quote, what? Blotted out of the book of life. 
It's a direct reference to actually a phrase used in worship of the synagogues of the time. And here's, here's what I mean. The scholar C.K. Barrett points out that the 12th of the 18 benedictions used each Sabbath prayed these words. Listen to this prayer. This is prayed every Sabbath in the Judaism of the time. Quote, For the renegades let there be no hope. And may the arrogant kingdom soon be rooted out in our days. And may the Nazarenes, that is literally what they called the followers of Jesus, the Nazarene, may the Nazarenes perish and be blotted out from the book of life with the righteous. May they not be inscribed. The prayer against God's church then was, may they be blotted out of the book of life. And Jesus says, no, no, no. With me, your name can never be blotted out of the book of life. So what does Jesus say to the prodigals of Sardis and for that matter the prodigals of today? Though you have been a renegade, I will clothe you in robes of my righteousness. And I will never blot you out of my book. Ever. On the other hand, you have the church in Philadelphia. Uh, city of brotherly love. We know it. Not the same place. And they are, they are crushing it. I mean, they are doing great. Uh, what's notable about them is they seem to be really kind of the exact opposite of the church in Sardis. They have no reputation. They have no money. They have no power. Their church programs probably stink. They don't really have anything impressive to draw people from the neighborhood. And yet Jesus has nothing but positive things to say about them. Listen to verse 7. The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one's opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Oh, how opposite is my view and I would dare say your view of how Jesus works in his church and the world from the way he actually works in his church and the world. We think when something's big and shiny and successful that it's being blessed by God. Now, let me make sure and say it could be. Big is not bad. Successful is not bad. Shiny is not bad. I like shiny things. They're fine. Nothing wrong with that inherently. But it is not inherently an indicator that God is actually blessing that work. We think when something is, is powerful that that must mean that God's behind it. But with the church in Philadelphia, we see as is so often the case, it is, it is the opposite. Jesus looks at the unimpressive and the pathetic and the weak as being super strong. If you, if you listen to the words of the Beatitudes that were read earlier tonight from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, what does he say? Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are the meek. All the opposites of what we might think. He sees as blessed. 
And so maybe, maybe you've wondered, based on your lack of impressive credentials, if God is blessing you. Or maybe you think because of your impressive credentials that God is blessing you. Maybe, maybe you look at our church here tonight and wonder if God is actually in our midst. I mean, we're a small church plant in the middle of the largest city in America. Is God in this? I've had plenty of days where I have asked myself that question. I've doubted if I've been honest with you. I, I mean, especially in the beginning. Oh my goodness. I wondered. I'm worried. I remember one time, right in the beginning, none of you were here yet. This was all... This was just sort of my family, and we had one other person living in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, that had committed to the church, and basically no other human beings. We just moved my family into the city, and I, I had spent day after day initially just reaching out to people on the street and in cafes. I've told you that before. And it, and it seemed like it seemed like we were starting to generate interest from the conversations I was having. And so, and so I decided that we would start hosting a dinner-slash-Bible study at, at my apartment. We were given... You know, this great apartment, not given, we paid for it. But we had this great apartment, and it was, it was able to host quite a few people. And so I invited all these people over. I started trying to host these get-togethers. At the same exact time, you talk about thinking, oh man, I am blessed. I get contacted randomly by this podcast, the first ever podcast from Gimlet Media, which was just recently bought out by Spotify. The first ever podcast they did called Startup. Now, Startup is still going on today. It was an amazingly successful podcast, very highly rated with, with hundreds of thousands of listeners to each episode. And this podcast, out of the blue, contacts me because they heard I'm planting a church and they say, hey, we'd like to do our whole next season on your church plan. What? I mean, yeah, I guess we can do that. Yeah, I, I mean, think of the exposure. This would be amazing. On top of that, I mean, the podcast was being produced and made by a bunch of former uh, This American Life and NPR producers, and I knew that their listenership was huge, and so I'm just, I'm thinking, this is going to be a great opportunity. God is in this. Clear signs of blessing. As a matter of fact, it was just the week before we were going to hold our first dinner at the apartment with all the people I invited. And I was so confident that I told the producer, I said, you know, you probably want to be here next Tuesday because I have a gathering that's going to happen here. And I guarantee you, I, I'm pretty confident we're going to have like 25 people filling up this place. So I invited everybody all week long. I just sent annoying email after annoying email and whatever text message I could. You know, anybody who was crazy enough to give me their number, texting them, make sure you're here on Tuesday, make sure you're here on Tuesday. And, uh, and then the night came. The producer showed up with all the equipment, big microphone, all ready to record the big event. And five people showed up. Five people. Eight, if you include the members of the Trinity. And two of the five just happened to be in town, and I knew we weren't going to be back again. So really, three 
Three New Yorkers showed up at my apartment. And I, the producer didn't say anything, but oh man, I could see like, I, it's, it's so bad when you can tell somebody's having pity on you. You know, and I could tell she was like, oh, oh, you said. And I felt like a sad thing. And I felt like I was ready to give up. But God often works that way, folks. He often starts something with just a few people. I mean, when you think about the life of Jesus, it's really 12 guys that stick with him, and one of them ends up betraying him to the cross. And even of those 12, they're not the most impressive bunch. No clout to speak of. What does he say Philadelphia had? Well, perseverance. Just, just kept going. So as unflashing and insignificant as Philadelphia may look, Jesus says to this church, yeah, I'm there. Because you have kept my word, verse 10, about patient endurance, even in the midst of persecution, you are blessed. Because to the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Note that to the church in Philadelphia, it is those who are part of, quote, the synagogue of Satan. That's what Jesus calls this synagogue in town there, which probably means Pharisees and scribes that uh, were, were persecuting the church. He says, to this place where the synagogue is persecuting you, I'm going to make you a pillar in my temple. Much, much, much more significant. Sure, they might exclude you, Philadelphia. They might treat you poorly. They might persecute you. But you have no idea how strong you are in my eyes. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. This is an interesting promise. Indeed, this promise is for you who sit here today as well, because in the waters of baptism, God indeed did that very thing. He placed his name on you. He sealed you for a future in which you get to be part of his new temple, not of stone, but as 1 Peter 2.5 says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Finally, we get to the most sad of the churches, I think, and that's the church in Laodicea. It says, verse 15, I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold, or neither cold nor hot, would that you were either. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What's he talking about here? Well, I mean, of course, you can picture what it's like. I don't, it, I'm a big coffee drinker, and um, once coffee's become lukewarm, it's no good. I spit it out of my mouth. But there's a reason that Jesus uses this picture in order to speak to this church, because where Laodicea was located was near the Lycus River Basin. Uh, six miles to their north in Hierapolis, they were known for having wonderful hot springs that were uh, seen as medicinal. And of course, it is relaxing and feels good to sit in hot springs, and they were used that way. 
10 miles to their east in Colossae, they had fresh, cold water. But Laodicea had white, muddy, lukewarm water. And thus had to have water brought to them from somewhere else. Jesus says to the church there, just like your water is undrinkable and unhealthy, so too is your church. And yet that is not what Laodicea thinks of themselves. Verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I don't need anything. Not realizing you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Indeed, Laodicea was a very prosperous area, but their prosperity had actually blinded them to their need for what only Jesus could give, living water. As a result, Jesus says, I, you've kicked me out of the church. See, it's interesting, he says, I'll speak it out of my mouth, but look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's not in the church. And I know some of you, if you grew up with an altar call type situation, you probably heard that verse used to say Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. That's not what this is saying. No, Jesus is saying to a church, they're in the midst of worship, they're gathered here, and he's standing out there going, hey, you forgot something. You forgot me. And I actually think this is one of the biggest problems facing the American church today. Because, you know, we, we, we tend to preach in such a way that assumes people out there in the world feel overwhelmed by guilt and shame over their lives and that that is what keeps them away from church. Or we assume that people think of us as being, oh, too holy for them, too good for them. And that can be true. People might be afraid to walk into a church because they don't feel worthy enough. That can be. And I think that may have been true more so at one time. But I don't think that's the majority of people around here now. I, I think a lot of people actually don't see why they would need the church at all. I, I think they judge themselves actually pretty good. Comparatively speaking. Uh, Smart, successful, not really in need of the forgiveness the church is offering. Of course, they're, they're failing to go very deep in their, in their thinking about this, because if there is a God, then no matter how much we might be doing great compared to others, ultimately we have to ask, what does God say we need to be good enough for him? And the answer from him is not just better than others, but perfect love for him and for our neighbor at all times. Well, who's done that? Nobody. So then if it's true that God exists, well, then everyone's in big trouble. Well, then what do you do to get out of this jam? What does a church do to get out of this jam? When a church has become like this, when Jesus is excluded from their fellowship, Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself 
and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Okay, Jesus, so you're saying we need to buy something from you. Gold and white garments, something for us to see. Okay, how much does it cost? And I'm telling you, I am telling you, we would actually be pretty comfortable if Jesus said, here's how much it costs and gave us a price. It would make sense to us if it was just something that we had to pay for. <clears throat> but actually, when Jesus says we have to buy it from him, he doesn't really mean buy in the way we use buy. It's actually given. It's not buy, it's receive from me. Gold refined by fire. And garments of righteousness. And salve so you can see. Listen to Isaiah 55.1. God speaking. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Remember, Laodicea does not have its own water. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus says the things that we ultimately need are ultimately given to us free of charge. And all we are called to do is say, yes, I'll take it. Thank you. It's really that simple. And you say, well, why does Jesus come off so harsh to the Laodicean church? I mean, he seems to be pretty tough on them. Well, remember, Jesus says this in verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. It's not because I don't love you that I discipline you. It's because I do love you, and I don't want to see you go down a path that's going to hurt you and to hurt your church. What is the promise given to those who receive this freely given gift of repentance and faith? Well, he says, in conclusion, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And that is our hope today as we continue on as his church today. As I dwelt on all three of these this week and thought about how this applied, I realized that if I'm honest as I do an inventory of Epiphany or I do an inventory of the other places I have served as a pastor, I think every church has something to learn from every one of these churches. Because we all have seasons and we all have times. And we all, here's what it really comes down to. We're always brought back to repentance and faith again in Jesus Christ. And it's why we gather here each and every week to be brought back. Or maybe for some of you, to be brought for the first time. It's to repent and believe. To say yes to what Jesus has done for us. There's no place that we'll be able to do that more so than tonight as we gather at the table. Literally, the body and blood of Christ are offered for you. 
And he's saying to us, no matter what state we're in as a church, no matter what state we're in as an individual, it's still here for you. Wake up. Come. Take. Take me. Receive me. And you will live. With that, let's pray. Father, forgive us for the ways that we get off track or for failing to believe your promises. Help us now, Lord God, come as receivers, passive receivers. Help us simply say yes to the gift. And now we come to you with the words that our Savior gave us with one voice saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank mm -hmm. you.